Welcome to Dayspring Fellowship. Whether you are in the room live, watching live online, later on demand, or listening to our podcast, we've been praying for you to experience the life-changing power of God in your life today. I'm Chris Boyd, and I lead the team here at Dayspring. That team is made up of people committed to helping you grow. People grow here because our team loves to challenge, equip, and encourage people to become more like Jesus. If this is your first time visiting Dayspring, we want you to know that this is the kind of church where you get to be you. We're just like you, imperfect people on a journey. We're allowing Jesus to make something beautiful out of our broken and often messy lives, learning to live like Him, a little more today than yesterday, a little more tomorrow than today. Even if you aren't sure that you're ready to be on that journey with us, maybe you are skeptical about the claims of Jesus or skeptical of His followers. Well. This is still a great place, a safe place to explore and ask questions as you look for answers. We're asking those same questions and looking for answers too, so I think we can be pretty good company on your journey. You can learn more about us as a church by exploring our website at dsf.church, by checking out our Facebook page, or contacting us by phone or email. If you need help figuring out the next step to making Dayspring your home church, or if you just have questions, let us know. We'll help you find the answers. For today's service, you can find a discussion guide by selecting Watch from the top menu of our website. And now, let's join our service. Well, welcome to the second installment of As the World Burns. Uh, if you are a guest today or you missed last week's message, we are taking a look at what the Bible might have to say about the goings-on in the world around us. I know that many of you, like me, have been wondering if we aren't teetering on the brink of the end times. Well, maybe the end of the end times, because we've technically been in the end times since the birth of the first century church. Are we close to entering the days prophesied in the last book of the Bible, the book of Revelation? And if so, what does that mean for us as Christ followers? In particular, it's the current war between Israel and Hamas that has us wondering if this is it. If the time is now. Of the just over 1,800 prophecies in the Bible, 1,300-ish have already been fulfilled to the letter, to the actual day where that was important. Uh, most of those prophecies were specific to the nation of Israel. Uh, for example, there is a prophecy about how long uh, Israel would be held captive in Egypt, which was fulfilled to the letter. There are prophecies about Israel's exile to Babylon, again, fulfilled to the letter. Even a prophecy about the destruction of Babylon. In Isaiah 14, 23, God says through the prophet Isaiah that Babylon would be reduced to a swampland. Which, if you think about it, seems weird. Because it was in the middle of the desert. But archaeologists, as they were excavating that long-buried city in the 1800s, discovered that they couldn't get to some parts of it because they were buried under the water table that had risen through the years, making it a swampland. Around 350 prophecies concerned the birth, ministry, death, and resurrection of Jesus, all fulfilled to the letter. 
every, every prophecy in the Bible that has been fulfilled has been fulfilled to the letter down to the actual day when that was important. All of that to say that we can be absolutely certain that the 500-ish prophecies that have yet to be fulfilled will be fulfilled. Now we looked at two of those prophecies last week. Ezekiel's war and Daniel's 70th week. Though we don't know the day or the hour when these prophecies will be fulfilled, as we discovered last week in Matthew chapter 24, Jesus told his followers to learn a lesson from the fig tree. Uh, in the imagery of the Bible, the fig tree is often a symbol of Israel. So pay attention to Israel. When its branches bud and its leaves begin to sprout, you know that summer is near. In the same way, when you see all these things, you can know his return is very near, right at the door. I tell you the truth, this generation will not pass from the scene until all these things take place. Heaven and earth will disappear, but my words will never disappear. So even though we don't know the day or the hour, if we are paying attention, we will begin to see signs that the time is near. And just to be clear, through the ages, good Christian men and women have thought the time was near and were wrong. So we want to be careful not to get ahead of ourselves. In my experience, lots of Christians like to speculate about the end times. But speculation that doesn't lead us to greater levels of surrender and obedience to Jesus and the priorities of his kingdom are wasted efforts. We must let nothing distract us from becoming like Jesus. Many scholars agree that it is Ezekiel's war that will set us off on the final countdown, which is Daniel's 70th week. Now, as a reminder, Ezekiel tells us that Russia, China, Iran, and most of the Muslim-led countries in the Middle East and Africa will advance on Israel intending to destroy it. Instead, in a mighty display of his power that will, be, that will be felt globally, God will supernaturally protect Israel and devastate the armies set against it. We call this Ezekiel's war simply because it was Ezekiel who prophesied it. We don't know when it will happen. The current war in Israel could slide into Ezekiel's war if Russia, China, Iran, and the other surrounding nations get more actively involved in the days to come. It's simply too early to tell at this point. We'll know for sure when God makes himself known as he protects Israel. Until then, maybe, maybe not. The devastation of Ezekiel's war will lead all of those nations to come to the table where the Antichrist will broker a seven-year peace treaty between Israel and those nations, which will launch us into Daniel's 70th week, the final seven years before Jesus returns to establish his kingdom on earth. Though there might be peace for Israel, the first three and a half years will bring great tribulation for followers of God. 
And then at the midpoint, at the three and a half year mark, the Antichrist will enter the Holy of Holies in the Jewish temple, which though all of the pieces are ready to go, hasn't been built yet. And he will proclaim himself God, which will begin three and a half years of God's wrath poured out over the earth. About 50% of the world's population will perish during this time. And then Jesus will return to rule. Now, this is just a simple overview of a series of very complex prophecies. I, I just want to give us the basics so that we're all on the same page. As we discovered last week, it was Daniel's 70th week that Jesus was referring to when he talked about the signs at the end of the end in Matthew chapter 24, Luke chapter 21, and Mark chapter 13. But the conversation didn't stop there. Clearly, the first century church was just as curious as we are, which led Peter, Paul, and John to address the end of the end in their writings as well. And it is from their writings that we begin to have some idea of how this impacts us, people who are Christ followers before the Great Tribulation. Uh, the New Testament clearly teaches that at some point, Christ will return for his bride, that is the capital C church. All of those who have died before us and all of us who are still alive at the time. A people who have, in faith, received the free gift of salvation. That is, we have acknowledged that our sin broke our relationship with God. But the death of Jesus paid the penalty for our sin. And in his resurrection, the curse of our sin, spiritual death, has also been reversed. And we are now alive spiritually, living in surrender and obedience to his plans and purposes for our lives. If that describes the relationship that you have with God, then at some point, unless your body dies first, Christ is returning for you. And by the way, if you aren't sure, please see me after the service. Or email me this week if you're watching online. The question is, when is Christ returning for the church? We use the word rapture to describe that great event. That word rapture isn't found in scripture. It's one that scholars came up with to describe the return of Christ for the church. And they have developed three possibilities for when the rapture might occur. A working our way backward from the end, one possibility is called the post-tribulation or post-trib rapture. Scholars who argue for a post-trib rapture believe that the church will go through the tribulation rather than being raptured out before or during the middle of the tribulation, meaning that the rapture and resurrection of all of the dead saints will occur at the same time at the end of Daniel's 70th week. At that time, Christ will come first for the saints and then immediately return with the saints to set up his millennial kingdom. The next option scholars argue for is called the mid-tribulation or mid-trib rapture. The view that the church will be present for the first half of the tribulation, but will be raptured out at the halfway point. 
They argue that the seal judgments and trumpet judgments in Revelation, which we're not talking about, but which occur during the first half of the tribulation, are not divine judgments, but natural judgments. Therefore, there is no need for the church to be absent for these to take place in the first half of the tribulation. Instead, the church will be raptured just before the outpouring of God's wrath in the second half of Daniel's 70th week. And then the last option calls for a pre-tribulation or pre-trib rapture, which believes the church will be taken up or raptured just prior to all of Daniel's 70th week. Uh, This view believes that Christ's second coming occurs in two parts. First, for the church, and then at the end, with the church, to set up the millennial kingdom. You can find a case for all three views in the Bible. And as we look at some of the writings of Paul, I'll show you what I mean. Uh, last, like last week, we're, we're going to cover a lot of verses. Uh, but I want, to, to, want you to see the whole context of these passages. I'm not just cherry-picking verses that I like. So let's begin in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 through 18. This is Paul writing, and now, dear brothers and sisters, we want you to know what will happen to the believers who have died so you will not grieve like people who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and was raised to life again, we also believe that when Jesus returns, God will bring back with him the believers who have died. We tell you this directly from the Lord. We who are still living when the Lord returns will not meet him ahead of those who have died. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a commanding shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God. First the believers who have died will rise from their graves. Then together with them, we who are still alive and remain on the earth will be caught up. Now if you're following along in your Bible, you might want to circle those two words, caught up. Those who are still alive and remain on the earth will be caught up in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Then we will be with the Lord forever. So encourage each other with these words. Now the words caught up that we see here in English are translated from the Greek word harpazo, which literally means caught up. In Latin, it is the word rapto, which is where we get the word rapture, meaning to seize or to carry off. A Greek scholar, Dr. Kenneth Woost, describes five meanings of the Greek word that is translated caught up. First, it means to catch away speedily. Uh, For those of you familiar with the book of Acts, this is the same word used to describe what happened to Philip Immediately after he baptized the Ethiopian eunuch, he was caught away quickly in the twinkling of an eye. Philip was beamed directly to Azotus. I can't help but wondering if he didn't just appear in the marketplace, still dripping with water from the baptism. That would have been a sight. Harpazo means that same idea, to catch away speedily. Harpazo also means to seize by force. 
Now, this is the same word used in John 6.15 to describe when Jesus slipped away to pray alone because he knew that the people were going to try to force his hand and make him their king. And it wasn't time. It could suggest that Satan and his armies may try to keep us from leaving the earth. But more than likely means that some of us will be so attached to the world that we will literally be dragged away, much like Lot was delivered from Sodom. Harpazo also means to claim for one's own self, as in Christ comes to claim his bride, the church. And it can mean to move to a new place. Uh, Paul used this word when he described his visit to heaven in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. He, he was moved to a new place. John 14 tells us that Jesus has gone to prepare a place for us. He will harpazo us to that place. And then last, harpazo can mean to rescue from danger, which suggests that the church will be taken home before the time of the tribulation. Now, that idea that the church will be taken home before then is first suggested a few chapters earlier in 1 Thessalonians, in chapter 1, where Paul writes, And they speak of how you are looking forward to the coming of God's Son from heaven, Jesus, from whom God raised from the dead. He is the one who has rescued us from the terrors of the coming judgment. And then also in the next chapter, chapter 5, Paul writes this in 1 Thessalonians 5, 9. For God chose to save us through our Lord Jesus Christ, not to pour out his anger on us. It's in 1 Thessalonians 4 that, that we can all agree that Jesus is coming again for his church. And though it is implied throughout the whole letter that we won't be here for Daniel's 70th week, it doesn't clearly state that we won't be here. What we can take away from the, the two other verses, verse 10 in chapter 1 and verse 9 in chapter 5, uh, is that God's wrath is not directed at the church. We see this thought echoed in Romans 5, 9, and then here in Revelation chapter 3, verse 10, where, where John writes, uh, because you have obeyed my command and and persevere, to persevere, I will protect you from the great time of testing that will come upon the whole world to test those who belong to this world. So this whole letter gives us clues that seem to suggest that the rapture will occur before Daniel's 70th week. And that brings us forward one letter to Paul's second letter to the Thessalonian church. Beginning at the, the top of chapter 2, he writes, Now, dear brothers and sisters, let us clarify some things about the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and how we will be gathered to meet him. Don't be so easily shaken or alarmed when those who say that the day of the Lord has already begun don't believe them, even if they claim to have had a spiritual vision, a revelation, or a letter supposedly from us. Now, so right here is an argument for a post-trib rapture. Clearly, someone had deceived some of the Thessalonian believers that they were already living in the day of the Lord. If I had to guess, I would guess that it was part of a prophetic utterance, which were so common in the church at the time. 
as well as a supposed letter from Paul. And for the record, if I'm right, and it was a false prophecy, when it comes to prophecy in the Bible, you only get one shot before you are labeled a false prophet, so it probably didn't go well for this person. But since this is the second letter to the Thessalonian church, and they already knew what we just covered, you can see how it would have been very confusing for them. Post-trib arguers use these verses to support their argument that we will be around during Daniel's 70th week. If these believers did believe in a pre-trib rapture, they wouldn't have thought they were already in the day of the Lord because they would have known they, were, they wouldn't have been there during that day. And Paul doesn't correct them. He just tells them that their current persecution isn't the day. He doesn't reiterate that they will be spared from it, which you would expect him to. In fact, the church is never told explicitly that we will ex escape the tribu tribulation. Uh, the Greek word for tribulation is used 55 times in the New Testament, and 47 of them refer to tribulation endured by the saints. And it is the same word that Jesus uses in Matthew chapter 24, 20, verse 21. But Paul's not done yet. He continues in verse 3, Don't be fooled by what they say. For that day will not come until there is a great rebellion against God and the man of lawlessness, which is just another name for the Antichrist. Uh, and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the one who brings destruction. He will exalt himself and defy everything that people call God and every object of worship. He will even sit in the temple of God claiming that he himself is God. Now we talked about this last week. This is clearly a reference to the midpoint of Daniel's 70th week. The Antichrist will set himself up as God three and a half years into the tribulation. Verse 5. Don't you remember that I told you about this when I was with you? And you know what is holding him back. Now put a pin in that phrase. What is holding him back? This is a really important phrase and we'll come back to it in just a minute. And you know what is holding him back. For he can be revealed only when his time comes. For this lawlessness is already at work secretly, and it will remain secret until the one who is holding it back steps out of the way. Again, hold on to this phrase, the one who is holding it back steps out of the way. Then the man of lawlessness will be revealed. But the Lord Jesus will slay him with the breath of his mouth and destroy him by the splendor of his coming. So, at least since the time of Paul, Satan has been manipulating and moving chess pieces around preparing for his final assault. But something or someone is restraining or holding him back. Now this ought to raise the question in your mind, who is the restrainer holding him back? Or what is holding him back? Some people have suggested that the restrainer is human government. Or Michael the archangel. Some have said the church. Or the Holy Spirit operating through the church. Or just the Holy Spirit. Now if we use the process of elimination, because Satan's operations include the spiritual realm and the physical realm, the restrainer must be able to access both the physical and the spiritual realms. 
and the restrainer must be strong enough to hold back Satan, which leaves us with God the Father, God the Son, or God the Spirit. Logic leads us to the Holy Spirit. Even before creation, the Holy Spirit hovered over the earth. And even though he didn't dwell on the earth as he does now in the heart of every believer, he has always been responsible for restraining evil and calling men and women to salvation. So the Holy Spirit is the short answer. But remember, Paul said both what is holding him back and who is holding him back. So the answer is twofold. First, the Holy Spirit's ministry in and to the church. That's the what. The sec- and second, the Holy Spirit's specific role in restraining lawlessness and evil. That's the who. Now, we can think about it this way. Since the founding of the first century church, every good that humankind has experienced has been birthed by the Holy Spirit's work in Christians. Christians have always led the way in caring for the sick, the poor, the marginalized. First century Christians would rescue babies from certain death when non-Christians would leave them out in the elements to die because they were unwanted or, or deformed. It is Christians who have fought for dignity and compassion. Christians who advocated for equality between races, between men and women, slave and free. Even now it is Christians who lead the charge against human trafficking. All humanitarian aid has its, it finds its roots in Christianity. However imperfectly we have gone about it, and there are surely some tragic seasons in the history of Christianity, but however fallible we might be, it is the influence of the Holy Spirit working through Christ's followers that has kept evil in check for 2,000 years. Imagine what the world would look like without the church. This reason alone, even if there were no other reasons, makes me believe in a pre-trib rapture. From the moment the Antichrist makes the headlines at the signing of the seven-year peace treaty, evil will no longer be restrained. According to the Pew Research Center, there are currently 2.38 billion Christians around the world. That's roughly one quarter of the world's population. That's a sizable, uh, sizable force of the Holy Spirit's power at work around the world. We are part of God's restraining force. And since we know that the Holy Spirit will never leave us, then by definition, we must leave in order for Satan to have his way on the earth. Now that does not mean that the Holy Spirit won't be around during Daniel's 70th week. Paul said he will step out of the way. He will still be calling people into relationship with Jesus and when they respond, he will fill them just like he fills us. He just won't be restraining evil as he has done since creation. So I'm a firm pre-trib rapture believer. But with that said, I hold that belief loosely. The whole concept of the rapture as we know it has only been around since the 1830s and it is mostly advanced by the evangelical church in America. So we need to be really careful about how we think about it. So I believe it, but if I'm wrong, I'm going to hold on to the words of the apostle Peter. This is what he has to say in his second letter to the church. In 2 Peter chapter 3, beginning with verse 3, He writes, most importantly, I want to remind you that in the last days, scoffers will come 
mocking the truth and following their own desires. They will say, what happened to the promise that Jesus is coming again? From before the times of our ancestors, everything has remained the same since the world first created. They deliberately forget that God made the heavens long ago by the word of his command. And he brought the earth out from the water and surrounded it with water. Then he used the water to destroy the ancient world with a mighty flood. And by the same word, the present heavens and earth have been stored up for fire. They are being kept for the day of judgment when ungodly people will be destroyed. But you must not forget this one thing, dear friends. A day is like a thousand years to the Lord. And a thousand years is like a day. The Lord isn't really being slow about his promise as some people think. No, he is being patient for your sake. Okay, now hold on to that thought. What does it mean that he's being patient for your sake? He does not want anyone to be destroyed, but wants everyone to repent. But the day of the Lord will come as unexpectedly as a thief. Then the heavens will pass away with a terrible noise and the very elements themselves will disappear in fire and the earth and everything on it will be found to deserve judgment. Now at first glance, it seems like that phrase, being patient for your sake, doesn't fit. God isn't being slow about his promise but, being, but is being patient for our sake. But then Peter starts talking about unsaved people. We aren't in that category. He doesn't need to be patient for my sake. I'm ready. I'm already saved. Come, Lord Jesus, come. Or not. There's more. Verse, verse 11. Since everything around us is going to be destroyed like this, what holy and godly lives you should live, looking forward to the day of God and hurrying it along. So here it is. He is not slow as some people think. He is slow so I can live a holy and godly life as I wait with anxious expectation. In the original language, the manner of our lives should be exotic, out of this world, foreign. Because, as Peter says in, in chapter 1 verse 4, we have escaped the corruption of this world. We must live differently from the people in this world. It is that difference that will attract. Our holy and godly lives will shine in the darkness. Beacons of hope and life for lost and dying people crafted in the image of God. And God doesn't want them destroyed. Our sake is the privilege of being used by God to save lost people. We are partners in the redemption of the world. And there isn't much time. On that day, he will set the, the heavens on fire. And the elements will melt away in the flames. But we are looking forward to the new heavens and new earth he has promised. A world filled with God's righteousness. And so, dear friends, while you are waiting for these things to happen, make every effort to be found living peaceful lives that are pure and blameless in his sight. And remember, our Lord's patience gives people time to be saved. That is what our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you with the wisdom God gave him, speaking of things in all of his letters. Some of his comments are hard to understand, and those who are ignorant and unstable have twisted his letters to mean something quite different, just as they do with other parts of Scripture. And this will result in their destruction. So one of the most challenging seasons I've ever had in ministry 
was during the early days of COVID. You remember, life was hard. We were all reinventing how we did everything. Getting used to social distancing and masks and blah, blah, blah. And here at, here at church, we also had to reinvent everything that we did. It was mentally and physically exhausting. And I went home every night wiped out and overwhelmed. And of course, that exhaustion leaked into my quiet time with a few complaints. Maybe more than a few, to be honest. <laughs> One of those mornings, I was sitting there complaining and asking Jesus to just come and take his people home. It was about the same time of year that it is right now. I know because I generally read through the Bible chronologically, which means January starts with Genesis and December ends with Revelation, and the letters of the New Testament come just before that. Meaning, I found myself in this passage on that morning, reading about the Lord's delay. And wouldn't you know it, clear as day the Lord said, Chris, you care more about your inconvenient circumstances than you do about people going to hell. What a wake-up call. According to Gordon Conwell Theological Seminary's report on the status of global Christianity, more than 1.2 million people on the continent of Africa come to Christ every month that Jesus delays. That's more than 42,000 people per day, 1,756 per hour, 29 per minute. In Asia, 606,000 people come to Christ every month. That's 20,000 per day, 841 per hour, 14 every minute. Around the world, people are coming to Christ. What is the value of someone's eternity when compared to my inconvenient circumstances? That led me to change the way I pray and think about the end of the ends. I realized that at some point... The last person who is going to be saved before Jesus comes again for his church will be saved. So I started praying for that person. I named him Zach. It could be a Zoe. Uh, Adam, Adam was the first man. Zach is the last. And I'm praying, from a, praying for the lost from A to Z. That's how I hurry Christ's return. The sooner that Zach comes to Christ, the sooner we'll go home. And in the end, Zach might be somebody I really love or someone you really love. The last thing Peter tells us is to be on guard. He says this. Therefore, dear friends, since you have been forewarned, be on your guard so that you may not be carried away by the error of the lawless and fall from your secure position. But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be both the glory both now and forever. Amen. Listen, we don't know how bad it's going to get before Jesus comes for us. No matter which trib is the real trib. We can already see the direction it's headed. Uh, even, even being restrained... The enemy is clearly moving in a direction that isn't good for Christ followers. Our ability to remain faithful then will be determined by our faithfulness now. 
Today, we have the freedom to become like Jesus. So become with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength today. So that tomorrow, your roots will be deep enough and strong enough to remain faithful no matter what comes your way. Let me close with these thoughts. When it comes to biblical prophecy about the end of the ends, there is very little that we are sure about. I've tried to keep these two messages focused on things that we're pretty sure about. Much of the rest is sheer speculation, which is only worth our time and attention if it makes us more like Jesus. That's why Paul inserted the command to live holy and godly lives every time he talked about it. Too many people let it distract them. So we, we might not know much, but we do know two things for certain. First, Jesus is coming back to claim us as his own. And second, until that time, he has called us, as the Apostle Paul tells the Philippian church, to shine like stars in the universe, pointing the way to Jesus. So get shiny. Start pointing. Go deep with Jesus and don't blink. Because in the twinkling of an eye, everything's going to change. Let's pray. Father, those of us who all already follow you have had eternity written in our hearts. From the moment that we entered into relationship with you, you started rewriting, uh, rewriting us from the inside out. And you have placed in us a desire to be with you face to face in eternity. We look forward to that day. We can't wait for you to come back for your church. At the same time, give us a heart and a, and a passion to pray for and live in such a way that the lost might be found. That our hearts would, would join your heart in caring that people will go to hell apart from relationship with Jesus. Help us to be faithfully living our calling, godly and holy lives each and every moment. Shining like stars in the universe. Pointing the way to Jesus. Most of us here in this room, most of us watching online have already entered a relationship with, with Christ. We know where we're going. But it is possible that there is someone here today, someone watching online later, that you're watching and you're not sure whether or not you'd go if Christ came for the church right now in this moment. There's a way to be sure. All you have to do is say yes to Jesus. Yes, I confess that my stubborn will has broken relationship with, with an eternal God who wants nothing more than relationship. 
My sin has separated me from the possibility of a relationship with God. But thanks to Jesus who has paid the penalty for that sin, I, I believe that he came and died for me. And in his resurrection, he conquered death and I want that kind of life. Lead me to that, Jesus. Just say yes to that. And then start living that way. Not because that's how you're going to get to heaven, but because now that you are going to get to heaven, you want to represent Jesus well. With your whole heart, soul, mind, and strength. Let your perfect work be done in each one of us. We pray in the precious name of our Savior. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. Let me encourage you to download the discussion guide by selecting Watch from the top menu of our website. Working through those questions on your own or with others will help the truth of God's Word begin to shape your life as you grow to be like Jesus. Please reach out if you have any questions or want help on your spiritual journey. My email address is on the screen or you can call the church during the week. If you are just checking us out today, please know that we don't expect you to give anything to support Dayspring. We count it a privilege to play a small part in God's perfect work in you today. The people who call Dayspring their home church make this ministry possible. Their faithful giving is proof of God's work in their lives and they want to pay it forward so you can experience the same life-changing presence of Jesus. For those of you who would like to start giving, we have three easy ways for you to get us your gift. Please see the online giving section of our website or text GIVE to the number on your screen or mail a check to us at the address you'll find on our website. Until we meet again, I am praying that God would give you opportunities to use your influence for the glory of His kingdom. One more thing. Thank you for liking and sharing and following Dayspring on whatever platform you connect with us. Thank you for rating us where that is appropriate. Even more, thank you for sharing our services with your friends and family. If this service was a blessing to you, it'll probably be a blessing to someone else too. God uses you to plant seeds in other people's lives. So keep sowing. <laughs>